Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Podcast 16 is sponsored by WordSprint, your connection source. Hi, this is Paul Lemberg, and I want to welcome you to Orchestrating Success with Hugh Ballou. This podcast is all about ways to redefine leadership as a pathway to increasing your business or nonprofit income. Now, here's Hugh with today's session. Greetings. This is Hugh Ballou. My guest today is Dr. Jeff McGee. Jeff Welcome. McGee. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> Jeff McGee has, has been a longtime friend, business associate, and he, he works with uh, what kind of companies do you work with? Yeah, you and I are so much in sync. That's what the little play was right there on even the opening. Yeah, I, I'm very blessed. Last 30 years, you know, I grew up in corporate America, uh, transitioned into sales positions, management positions, ownership positions of companies. So from small entrepreneurial businesses, you know, 10, 15, 20 million up to billion dollar clients. So mm-hmm. today I work with organizations such as Pfizer Pharmaceutical, um, Anheuser Busch, Harley Davidson, uh, large corporations to you know major government entities. I work with large government organizations, um, adjutant generals of multiple uh, state, army, and national guards that do leadership work with, as well as in the association market. You know, I do a lot of leadership work with CPAs, EAs, and tax attorneys. Uh, you know, every year they have to have roughly 40 continuing education credit hours to keep their license, and uh, we have over 2,000 hours worth of accredited um, content in that space as well. So a lot in the profit, non-for-profit, small business to large business, so across the spectrum, but where we focused in is not on a specific industry, which is what a lot of times people would do. Yeah. I focus on an intellectual skill set that regardless if you are a nonprofit uh, employee at some level or you're the executive director, if you're in a profit-based business, we look at basically engagement skills to make you more effective as a leader. That's our space. That's why you're on this podcast and this video. Our audience are social entrepreneurs. They might be running a charity. They might be clergy. They might be running a small business. But we, as social entrepreneurs, are doing something different. And I find that a lot of leaders in any kind of organization, but especially in in these small organizations, are challenged with creating revenue. This whole theme is converting your passion to a profit. So all of us are challenged because we get in the way as leaders. Absolutely. So what's the biggest barrier that leaders create to generating revenue? Great question. And there's several ways to address that for you, the viewer today. You know, one of the the ways we we address that is through the nonprofit performance magazine that Hughes, the co-publisher of, to the professional performance magazine, whole suite of uh, publications. You know, in, in working with phenomenal leaders that I've done interviews with, that have written articles for our magazine over the past 20 years, there is an answer to that question. And looking at it as a performance psychologist and doing the leadership work, uh, whether it's coaching, high performers, whether those are politicians, whether those are celebrities, athletes, entertainers, business, senior executives, leaders, um, senior level military officers, to this new social entrepreneur network and framework that we have as a lexicon today, 
any of those worlds I live in, it really is the same answer. So it's important for me to set that up to answer your question. What's critically important for that leader today? You know, one of the things I talk about in, in, in all of my last four graduate management textbooks is business, no matter what the business is you're in, comes down to five factors. And so all of my writings, all of my teachings, all of our leadership work, all my coaching always is coming back to these five factors. I come into a high-performance organization, uh, and you look at those organizations, and you start to do the diagnostics that, you know, come up with a matrix of what's leading them to be successful. You'll find certain variables are never negotiable. They're always there, and I found them to be five factors. If I go into a dysfunctional organization, dysfunctional leader, or leaders, what I start to recognize are the things that's leading to dysfunctionality are always very specifically going to be one of five factors. So the magic sauce for me, what I've recognized, whether I'm dealing with a peak performance individual or organization, five things make or break. So they're non-negotiables. We're always looking for ways to enhance those five and accelerate those five. If I walk into an organization that's lost some of their luster and success, it's going to be because of one of these five. So we have to identify what the one is. And then you back up and say, okay, what are all the things that that create it, support it? How do you manifest it? So you can get back to that one that's missing. Mm -hmm. So if I listen to a parent, Talk about, in essence, uh, challenges they're having with one of their child or how their family is not as, as bonded as it used to be. It's also, from a personal family therapy perspective, one of the same five factors. So I keep alluding to these five because I've recognized that the five hit do not change anytime. So I'll give you those five, and then I'll answer the one that I think is the most important of the whole five. Great. So what makes and breaks a successful nonprofit, uh, entrepreneur, or as you're watching us, no matter what your capacity is in business, is number one, strategy. Strategy is where everything starts. What's your strategic intent? What is your strategy? What's your game plan? Strategy can have lots of names at the, at the elementary level. It's your mission statement. It's your values. It's your vision. All of those factors go into what your strategy is. Yes. So when I go into work with a military leader, one of the things the military provides me is that every senior leader, when they come into that position, has what's referred to as a strategic intent. It's their document where they write down strategically, this is my intentions, this is what I'm all about, therefore this is what I'm not about, this is what I will tolerate, this is what I will not tolerate, and this is where I want to try to go with the organization. So imagine you and I are the number two and three in the organization, our boss hands us that document. Mm -hmm. We know strategically exactly where we should be going every day. Therefore, everyone around us in our orbit will know anything else that comes down the pike, which I said there's five, I just gave you one. So anything else that comes on that list, four, three, two, and one, supports the strategy. And I find in any kind of organization, there's A, a whole lot of people that don't have that document. Direct it. B, people that have it but don't use it. Direct it. So I, I, and that is huge. So you know, one of the books you can go on Amazon or you can go on barnesandnoble.com and buy if you're watching this, I challenge you to do this, is a book called The Managerial Leadership Bible. It's a revised edition, newest edition. It's a white cover book, but The Managerial Leadership uh, Bible. So whether you buy it and it's a college textbook and you read it from the perspective as an academic and you're looking at the Q&A throughout the book, or you buy it just as a practitioner, so forget the Q&A and just read the content, you'll see what we're talking about right here throughout the book with examples of real businesses. And the author? And the author would be moi, Jeffrey McGee. Thank you. <laughs> Poor excuse. I'll do a shameless plug anywhere. But no, the reason that, that that's important is we're talking about this right here. And, and a lot of businesses will have strategy. They'll have a mission statement. They'll say, these are our values. 
but they don't live them on a daily basis. And that's what creates trauma with the HR world. It's why you have turnover of people. It's why people are not buying in and taking ownership of workplaces. So again, I, I, I can dissect any business mm-hmm. knowing how to start a business and having ran successful business, having sold successful businesses, having worked with phenomenal leaders all over the globe and learning from them. And by doing phenomenal interviews with successful business people in the Performance Magazine suite for 20 years, you know, one of my fascinations is American Indian heritage. So in every issue I do, an interview with a tribal chief or their, their operating principal CEO. Uh, we always have a Fortune 500 you know, C-suite writer in article. We have New York Times best-selling authors. You know, we have uh, generationally, whether it's Centurion, Baby Boomer, Generation X, Y, Millennial, or Z, mm-hmm. I always have someone from a different generational set write articles. Phenomenal personalities, but when you look at any of them, you strip back the, the aha wildness of whoever that personality mm-hmm. is. If they're successful... Again, you may not have to buy into the segmentation where they work and live, but if they're successful in that space, you'll recognize they have a strategy. They've got a game plan. Their strategy drives every initiative. So in a nonprofit or in a church, for example, your strategy will drive every initiative you should be doing, and it'll tell you every initiative that while it might sound great and it might serve a purpose, it doesn't serve your purpose and you shouldn't be doing it. The other problem with nonprofits is that they're predicated on the HR factor is typically volunteers. So you have a small permanent staff and a small staff, maybe zero, that's actually paid. So it's a volunteer environment. Well, if your volunteers are spread too thin because you're strategically trying to do way too much, you dilute your abilities. And there what's going to happen is you're going to always be in in an exhausted run to be successful. You're always going to be having turnover of your volunteers. And you're going to be dependent upon the same one or two or three people every time to do something. Eventually, they're going to get started, uh, uh, get exhausted, excuse me, and they're going to leave. So strategy sets everything. And you're right. It's amazing. So a couple years ago, I was in Florida. AICPA, which is kind of a governing accrediting authority for CPAs, um, was having an, an, kind of an emergency conference because they were realizing tremendous problem in America with major uh, firms, uh, publicly traded firms dealing with integrity and ethics and implosions and all this, you know, peppering and spiking and doctoring of, of, of accounting books, and etc. So they had the, the managing senior partner of the top 100 CPA firms in America. So you can do your homework on the names then. But the senior managing partner would be the same in a normal business basically saying CEO. And at that conference, you know, I gave every one of them a little handheld, you know, control like about the size of your smartphone where I'd pose a question on the screen at the front of the room and they could click in their answer. And within like 60 seconds, you had composite scores for the whole room. So what's interesting is we're talking about them because, again, major accounting firms have consulting arms. Those consulting arms work with your nonprofits and businesses all over the globe. And part of what that practice is about is to help to make sure those organizations are set up from day one strategically with a focus and a game plan. What was interesting is it was a high number, and it doesn't even matter what the number was because the, the, the trend is what's important for what I'm sharing. It was like, you know, 90-ish percent of all of them when they were asked the question, how many of you have a strategic plan, have a mission statement, have a succession plan? I mean, it's a very high number. They all tagged in, you know, like, you know, 86, 93 percent. Of, the, of the, your client organizations, how many of them have strategic plans, mission statements, succession planning, you know, plans, et cetera? They clicked in again, you know, 86, 93 percent high numbers. Wow. But a little bit later, so what's important, and that is a huge wow. wow. What's important is the second answer, not that. See, again, as a performance psychologist, I know about the game of manipulating people. If you're a parent, you know manipulation. All your kids have figured this out. Yes. But when I say manipulation, I don't mean it in a negative standpoint. I mean, if you go into a science facility, a high school, college, a lab, we're always manipulating ingredients compounds to get desired outcomes. So there's a positive connotation. Mm-hmm. But when you sound, you know, when you talk about management, leadership, and HR issues, if you talk about manipulating, it always has a negative connotation. So take the negative out. So what I've learned is, is the art and science of asking questions. 
So later in the survey, I asked the question of every one of them. Okay, so we already know, we've set them up, that a high number have a strategy, their clients have strategy, they sell the value of strategy. So but later the question was, how many of you actually follow and benchmark key decisions, gauge, gauge key decisions and actions and, 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 and programming and hiring and termination off of those game plans? It was amazing. The numbers were like non-existence, 20, 30% of the time. Succession planning. You're getting ready to retire. We know you're going to retire, you know, at the beginning of, of next year. How far in advance do we go back to our strategic plans, succession plans, and make sure we're cultivating and grooming the next person to take over internally or doing the outreach search program to find someone new to find the right new executive? What's amazing is it's like about 30-ish days before you're leaving is when we then go into panic mode and start executing all of our strategies. But if you looked at your strategy, it probably told you things you should have been doing months, years, decades ago. So the point of number one, number one of what's going to make and break your strategy. Most people don't have a strategy and those that do don't follow, which is why they're not successful. That's the fundamental rule of leadership as principle of, for my, when I teach, we're perfectly aligned. Number one principle is strategy. It's your foundation. Bingo. So when you and I started talking years ago and you were looking at your business and how you wanted to accelerate and focus it, let's just kind of talk about you and I. Mm -hmm. That was one of the things I coached you on. Correct me if I'm wrong. As I said, look, you can go and profit, non-profit, you know, secular church, etc., all over the place. You, but if you really want to be successful, you've got to focus strategically on where your business is going to go based upon who you are. And you're basically 50 years on this planet has been around the nonprofit world and the evangelical church secular world. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you need to focus in on that space. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you're not going to worry about competing with me in the corporate world where all the Jeff McGee's are because I have a ton of competition. The more majority of which suck, I'm doing a lot of damage control from them. But see, you have to keep in mind as you're watching this little this program, a lot of people are really good with the way they dress and the way they look and the way they sound. And their marketing materials are great. And they can sell you they got every answer in the world. But when you lift up that hood, there's no engine underneath to get you there. I mean, it is regurgitation of someone else's best practices. And that's the big problem in this world. It is huge. And suck is spelled S-U-C. S-U-C. Okay. It's one of the key things I talk about. So on the lapel pin of all my suits, I have a, a uh, pin. It's in the shape of a key, and it's a golden pin. It talks about attitudes, the key to your success. Uh -huh. So if you take the first three letters of success, you get the word suck. And most people don't have success in life because they suck. And You're halfway. Can, all the way. <laughs> so we teach a lot of techniques on them, but it's a good little anchor in the head. So critically important is success. So that's one strategy. So second then is going to take, us to, if I want to have success, then strategy is going to drive all of our ops, all of our operational systems, operational procedures, operational protocols. So do I need this software system or not? Do I need this system or not? Do I use this computer program or not? So what are the systems? What are all the operational protocols? The reason people sometimes resist new operational changes in your organization is they don't see how that goes to the strategic intent of what organization's about. You program that this is where we're going, then all of a sudden you come with a new operational system, and to them they see this is not helping us to get there or accelerate to there. They think it's competing, it's diluting, or it's taking them off track. So there's your clue. So operational systems, which that's a place, for example, any organization that has, in essence, people in their nonprofit that their job is to get membership, new members, or they're supposed to be going out and raising funds, getting money. In a profit-based world, anyone that's in the company and their job is to make sales, what I have found is the operational systems that most organizations have gather too much data, too much analytic. 
And a lot of times what people do when they are lazy and they want to suck for a living is they love to create slides of analytics to justify why they're so busy, not doing anything you strategically need them to do, but why they're so busy. So again, the person who's in charge of getting money or getting members, the person who's in charge of selling your products or services, there's only four pieces of operational analytics you need. And if you have that, it'll tell you if you're on track with your strategy or not. And those four analytics will help you with the next three things that you need in a business. So I won't give you what those four analytics are. You need to hire us to figure that out because we've spent millions of dollars to figure out those four. But guaranteed, that's how you take your director of membership development and keep them, help them, or fire their butt. This is how you take a sales director in your organization, help them, keep them, or fire their butt. Because my premise is most everyone in a nonprofit world and in a profit world whose job is to make sales or generate revenue streams is working at about 25% of capacity. Because the good news is in the last 20 years, in the United States especially, we have created cultures and climates and attitudes where minimum performance gets maximum paychecks. And as soon as someone knows that, then your minimum performance is what everyone does. And then people start negotiating with you to be even more pathetic than they were yesterday and get a paycheck. We're social entrepreneurs. We're doing things differently. So these are all fundamental leadership decisions. You've got to have a strategy. And then the systems are the imp- Absolutely, because if you are starting up as a new social entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. you need operational systems. Take my last tirade. This is critically important. Tirade. (laughs) God love these. But if you're starting a business or you have a small organization that you're trying to ramp up, you have to have the operational systems to hold you accountable on a daily basis to make sure you're doing the right things at the right time with maximum ROI and everyone around you. Because that's the other thing that gets the small startup people in trouble is that they get busy doing all the things that seem to be more fun and you're putting off the key ingredients to success you're not doing. And actually, people have been in business for a while and... Just to be clear, we are teaching nonprofits to not think of nonprofit as a philosophy. It's a tax classification. It's all so that it is. Using, using business principles and its charity to generate revenue because otherwise we're not going to make our mission. Absolutely. So number one, the foundation is, is strategy. You got number it. Number two, you rehearse by having good systems. You got it. I mean, as a certified board executive, and a lot of people that work with your organizations at a board level are not certified board executives. So as a certified board executive, what, what Hugh just said is exactly what I've learned to be critical in the profit and nonprofit world. And I've been on lots of nonprofit boards and profit boards. Nonprofit is a profit-based business. I hate to pop your bubble. It's a tax classification, as you said. Because even as a nonprofit, if you don't generate donations, you don't generate revenue, somehow some way you're not going to be in that nonprofit business to do whatever the goodness is of the causes you're committed to so when you don't think yourself as needing to generate an ROI you need to leave whatever it is you're doing because you become an employee as your mindset third so strategy drives ops ops drives then all of the tactical behaviors that you need to do on a second by second minute by minute hour by hour week by week day by day month by month quarter by quarter basis to have a successful year so again a lot of times people bring me in, listen to yourself in your own conversations. Just of the first three of the five words I've given you, most everyone fixates on number three. They're not doing the things I need them to do. That's a tactical behavior. They are not doing it the right way. Tactical behavior. They're not working smart enough or hard enough. That's a tactical behavior. They're doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. That's a tactical behavior. People are dropping the ball. That's a tactical behavior. So when people bring me in and start talking about what the the behaviors are that's not happening, I go back to number two. Do you have an operational system to hold them accountable? Do you have an operational system that trained them and onboarded them effectively to make sure we have people doing the right things the right ways? Or back up, do we even have a strategy that says we embrace ongoing education? Does our strategy say we embrace being the best we can be and we're going to support our people, create a culture and environment for people to be the best they can be? See, again, all of these these key planks 
ebb and flow together. And if you start looking at the problems, you can diagnostically go right and see where the problem is. You go to the step before it to see what do we do to create the problem or what are we not doing to cause the problem. Bingo. That's how you fix this stuff. Bingo. So number three is? Tactical behaviors. All right. I find a lot of people start there and they're only executing tactics and they have so many tactics they cancel each other out. And there's not the system, and there's no strategy. Bingo. So you're not working within this framework of a strategy. You got it. Yeah. So, and you can apply that to social commentary. A lot of times in front of my groups, I like to use examples that are very relevant, have a lot of emotion around them so I can shock you and wake you up. Even though it could be dangerous, tough crap, I'm going there. But I use examples that people can turn on the news. It doesn't matter what your political view is. You can see it right there on the nightly news every night. So look at what the causes are. You see people that are marching or picketing or protesting or talking about. Everyone starts at number three. They're bitching because someone's doing what they don't want them to do. Or they're bitching or protesting because someone's not doing what they want them to do. So I come back and say, but let's look at your behavior. Are your behaviors actually manifesting and perpetuating the negative stereotypes that you're trying to fight against? Because if they are, you have to change your behaviors. Then how do you operationally hold yourself, there's a newsflash, and hold the others accountable? Well, all of that's only going to happen is if you have a strategy. What are you trying to accomplish? Keep in mind, most organizations in America today, their tactical behaviors are designed to keep everyone at unrest to create noise, to create destruction, to create confusion, wow. to create distraction. Almost every organization, I won't mention the National Education Association, NEA, as an example, too easy of a target. There are phenomenal educators. I've worked with them. There are phenomenal teachers. I've worked with them. There are phenomenal administrators, superintendents and principals around the United States. I've worked with them. But if you look at now the statistics, so in essence, Pick a state. In 2016, Georgia, as an example, one-third of all the public schools were failing so bad, they weren't even on the chart of being suck. They were that worse. One-third of the kids in the Georgia schools were not graduating from high school. So the NEA should be at the forefront of saying every superintendent, every principal, every administrator, every teacher that's not doing things to make it a positive environment should be immediately terminated. We don't care what your tenure is in the system. We should be a union that is only going to protect those cutting-edge social entrepreneurs that are going to actually educate and hold people accountable. And if you're not up for that, you're fired. You suck as a teacher, goodbye. You suck as an administrator, goodbye. But see, now that's only part of it. You have to have a strategy for greatness. So then you need to have a strategy that holds parents accountable and the community accountable. Your kids should be in school between basically 8 and 4 in the afternoon, and they're on the streets. The community should be engaged. You shouldn't be a truant officer. The community should be engaged in terms of what are you doing while you're not in school. The churches should be accountable. You should be holding people accountable to educate them. There should be a PTA. Every parent should know at the end of every single day when that child goes to bed what they did in school today and if they have any homework, and if not, why do you not have homework? I mean, that's the way it was when I grew up a couple of decades ago. So today when I hear people talk about kids are not in school, they're flunking, they're dropping out, and parents are stunned that this is going on, wrong. That's to hold the parents accountable. So again, ah, I just walk you back from one problem, which everyone goes on the bitch tirade and blames the teacher, which is not always a fact, but you have to go, what's the system we're using? And in essence, what's the strategy? We should have no kid in America that graduates 12th grade that is not smart. See, that used to be the agreement with our public marketplace. You could get a high school degree, and strategically, the business place knew if you were a high school graduate, you were articulate, you were smart, you were educated. You could speak coherent English. You could write a coherent sentence. You knew basic math. You knew basic science. You had good work ethic. I could hire you for any sort of a job, and you could have a good living the rest of your life without ever having to go to a trade school, community college, or four-year degree or more. But today, the reason in essence people have to go to college is because they're idiots at grade 12. So college isn't helping. See, so again, we break all this stuff down because no one looks at the strategy behind things because the easiest place to get people's emotions in an uproar is point three, tactical behavior. 
So again, when I see someone saying that, you know, black lives matter, blue lives matter, red lives matter, I don't give a crap, pick a color. That's the big thing in 2016 to distract you away from the real issue. Or that in essence, you know, people should get $15 an hour or they should get $8 an hour. Or they should get, I mean, again, take any topic in 2016 because what I'm talking about is evergreen. This conversation is not just time dated to 2016 as we're recording it, but those are the hot issues. Whether a woman should be elected president or man doesn't matter. Do they have strategically, and have they shown strategically to be successful? Have they had failures? Yes, because if you are successful, you can have tons of failures. But again, you can apply this model to anything. You can, and I'm I'm listening to you talk about pointing fingers, for instance, and that that part of it. People are doing things, so why aren't they doing? Why aren't they doing? You're pointing fingers. Why aren't yep. they doing what they're supposed? To, what I want them to do. So we as leaders set up the problem because we didn't have the strategies. Correct so it. We want to blame other people for us causing the problem. Easiest way to distract is to blame someone else. The easiest way to say I've done nothing wrong is to blame someone else. Oh, it's it's some foreign leader that's trying to do me down as a politician and are helping my opponent. That is the biggest line of BS ever. And see what happens when you fixate it just on three is that people will emotionally get so involved in a topic that they have no clue about strategy one and operations two and that's why we keep perpetuating our own problems in our nonprofit world so yes I've just taken some highly political examples we're using but again remember I preface by saying I'm going to use these to get you to think do you have fact and data to back up your conclusions do you have fact and data to back up your opinions because most people do not we live in a rhetoric world based upon sound bites at every age, but what backs up where you're going? So all this little interplay we're having here for your benefit is this is also, so we kind of rehearsed this before we recorded, this is the reality of every organization. We get distracted every day on social commentary. What's going on with a sporting team? What's going on with violence? What's going on with terrorism? What's going on in politics? What's going on with someone? I mean, we get distracted. Who gives a crap what the Kardashians did this week? It's an entire family of zero talent that they're making hundreds of millions of dollars by recrafting that stupid is the new deal. So again, but that's the reality where we live and nonprofits are the same thing and business is the same thing. So we've got to get focused that what we've just done for five minutes should be back to almost zero of what you deal with on a daily basis. But these are examples of your business and your nonprofit because I don't know who you are as you're watching us right now, but in your business, you have political conversations like the one we had here in your business, politics between members. You have highly emotional issues between one person versus another and it distracts you away from what you should be doing. So you have the wrong behaviors on a daily basis, you're turning people off behaviorally because a lot of times this conversation has nothing to do with your strategy. Now, if we had a nonprofit and our strategy was to create civil discourse and confusion in the marketplace, I just gave you a whole lot of clues what would be in our strategy. Uh, See where we're going? Strategy gives you focus, and my acronym for focus is free of clutter and unnecessary stuff. Exactly. And you just spoke to, we get distracted. I gave five minutes of clutter right here. major in minor things. That's it. And so focus, the main thing is the main thing. So strategies, number one. Two. Systems, operations. Operations is two. Tactics. is three. So now you have that. So those three may not be necessarily new to you. Because again, if you have a graduate degree in MBA, finance, management, leadership, if you've been to professional development groups and organizations, forget your college background or 
no college background, but you've been to professional networking events, CEO to CEO sort of peer groupings, you have probably heard, if you've been paying attention, the first three things we just gave. Or if you studied Center Vision's leadership material. There you go. Or, or my stuff <laughs> or as well. Stuff. Exactly. Absolutely. But, but what four and five is what really makes and breaks the first three because some people can, can, can song and dance one, two, three. But four then is the discipline to execute effectively. You know, that old statement of practice makes perfection is a flawed statement. Oh, yeah. Practice does not make perfection because if you're practicing the wrong behaviors, if you're practicing the wrong strategies, <laughs> yes, if you're practicing because you're hanging around losers, uh, you're going to become very proficient yes, at all the negatives. <laughs> you know, when someone talks about, you know, look at this person, well, that's exactly what I do. Well, let's look at the resume. I mean, everyone has a flaw. So, so I'm not about to be pious and say that I'm perfect or anyone is. What you've got to recognize, do, do people learn from their flaws? That's fine. But if someone's a hypocrite, so I won't mention, in essence, a major political figure, Jesse Jackson who's counseling Bill Clinton on his infidelity. At the exact same time, Jesse Jackson is fathering children with his secretary that he then uses money to move her to California. We've got a problem with our discipline. Now, that's a highly emotional example I just gave, and I'm sure I'm going to stress someone out, but I'm not stressing you out if you have integrity. I stress you out if you got no integrity. Whoa. Just challenge it because integrity comes out of strategy. If you go, wait a minute, I like some of the things Jesse Jackson's about, but you know what? There is a moral problem if someone's going to say up and say they're the moral authority and they're morally bankrupt. See, again, these examples I'm using are highly emotionally charged on purpose because you may never watch another webcast here. But if you're watching this one and I'm getting through to you by using some shock factor statements, then I'm causing you to think. And I don't know what your cause is at the other end of this web right now, but if your cause is to help to make other people's lives better, are you genuinely doing it? Yeah. Or are you doing it with an ulterior motive? Are you genuinely doing it so you can sustain it tomorrow? Or are you doing it today when people find out you're flawed, they're going to run and not want to be around you? Because these are important elements. So your discipline, what you do, comes out of your strategy. If you, if you think strategically no one's going to ever hold you accountable, then that's why you can have flawed behavior and you can have a discipline to do things that are not what I would view as integrous or you have a discipline not to do things. Now, let's take it back down to your level as an organization. Do your employees and members have the discipline to do the things you need them to execute? They do if they, number three, understand behavior and how to do ABC. And you have operational systems to hold them accountable to doing ABC because they understand strategically what ABC means. It all flows together. So for is discipline? Discipline. Again, one of the problems you're going to have as, a, as an entrepreneurial solo practitioner or a small business startup, nonprofit-based or profit-based, or you're starting up a new church or whatever your, your business angle is going to be, is that when you start something, if you're committed, that's three, because you believe in two and one, then as you start up, you're going to have the discipline to be up before the sun's up every morning and you're working on meaningful things. And you're going to be working when the sun goes down every night on meaningful things. But the reason a lot of times people don't have the discipline to execute or they're never going to execute as hard as you are is because they are short-term participants. They're there basically if you give me a ton of money or I'm going to get a ton of accolade, then I'll give you something. Example, politicians. Most politicians, my experience has been in 25 years, because again, in our magazine, we always have a federal politician or a major state politician writing our different issues. So whether it is a federal senator or congressman, whether it's a governor, whether it's one of the secretaries at the cabinet level for the president or the president. I've had the last three presidents have written for my magazine, the last four first ladies have written for my magazines and et cetera. But what I found out about a politician that's disingenuous with the four things I just gave you mm -hmm. is they're always accessible when they're running for office. 
are they accessible after the election? Because if they are, then they're genuine with all five of these words I'm giving to you. But what I have found with most politicians, it's very hard to get a hold of most of them to write an article on success or do a Q&A, a nonpartisan Q&A for my magazines once they've been elected for the first year or two. It's not because they're busy. It's because they don't give a crap. That's your reality bubble. Politician has been elected for years and 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 you're a constituent and in your marketplace your economy sucks and your neighborhoods are run down and your schools are not delivering and there's no opportunity or prosperity yet you keep re-electing that same federal politician you are stupid they are brilliant because they have a strategy of how to game you to get you to believe that they care about you and that's why you keep re-electing them so it stuns me sometimes around the United States we have career politicians and the reason they don't want your schools to be good is because if the schools are good, students become young adults, become voters, and if you're educated, they will not be reelected because if you got a brain, you can catch BS at a mile away. So as, as the discipline piece comes in, there's an integrity piece, there's a focus piece. Absolutely. And, and the whole, I'm going to remind listeners and viewers that the whole thread of this is how leadership impacts the bottom line. And these are all noise that gets in the way. These are the lack of discipline, and we create confusion, Bingo. which costs the organization Absolutely. limits us. So when you have people within your nonprofit, your business, or community, so again, I'm taking lots of different ways you can apply this, and they don't have the discipline to do what you need them to do for their piece of the business, their business enterprise, their department, their group, their, their team. If they're not discipline-wise doing what you need them to do, it's because they don't have the right behaviors. You haven't given them the SOPs. You haven't given them the procedures. You don't have, in essence, a lean Six Sigma mindset of how to do whatever, etc. Which means your operational systems are not there to help people to follow and flow the right way, which means it's disconnected from your strategy. So again, any of these tirades, any of these case studies, any of these examples that we give to you, you can see exactly where you plug it in. But once you know where you plug it, you go to the step before it to see what's happening or not happening that's caused that problem. In our society, we see where the problem is, and we fixate just right there without going back and changing it. The reason our K-12 schools are, are failing our students, which means they're failing the business place, because newsflash, most schools in the 1980s stopped teaching the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, and the Federalist Papers, because if you know those three, that gives you the strategic understanding of what our nation's about. And when people don't understand strategically what our nation's about, they can plug in what they want to tell you our country's about, and it's not. Our country was created for three factors. You go back and read all those documents, three reasons we were created as a country, which is exactly why you're on this webinar. Everything else came second. One, one is capitalism. A little Boston Tea Party, Read. You'll get a clue. Taxation without representation. We were not allowed to do our business. We were being mandated to us what we can and cannot do. Capitalism is what drives everything on the planet. Margaret Thatcher had a phenomenal line many years ago about socialism. The problem with socialism is that eventually you will run out of everyone else's money. Sink it. So if your nonprofit has a socialist mindset, you will cease to exist eventually because you're going to run out of people that can give you money because no one's making money and you're going to have, in essence, a lifespan that eventually you'll be dead. So capitalism. Second was freedom to represent ourselves or as a republic, a democracy to elect people. So same thing in your nonprofit. If you're the only one that's doing everything, then you better be willing to carry that weight forever. You're going to be in trouble. But if you can create an organization that can create its own future leaders and its future leaders, then your organization will have a legacy and go on forever and have representation and third was freedom of religion 
Read Thomas Jefferson's letters to Thomas Locke when he was floating on a boat back to England when he said, hey, I heard there's another religion after the United States was already created. Heard there's another religion called Muslim and there's some sort of a book they read called the Koran. Never heard about it. Can you bring me a book back? So again, we were created as a Christian society. I hate to pop your bubbles, kids, but read some documents and you'll see God everywhere, nothing else. You'll see Christian. It doesn't mean we're not against anything else, but you've got to understand what you're all about to keep yourself solid. I'm using highly emotional examples on purpose because see what most people will do with what I've just given them, they're going to jump off to the last section of discipline in terms of discipline and behavior. And you're going to start having a huge rhetoric-based conversation on, oh, Dr. McGee, you're wrong. Or, oh, Jeff, you're wrong. This is what it means. It's like, no. I didn't say we can't be anything else, but anything else has to be congruent with these three things. Your business, your nonprofit, what is your strategic intent? And everything you do should be congruent with it. Your operations, number two is Hughes keeping count. Number three is going to be in essence your behaviors. Four is discipline. And five is the juice that makes everything, which goes back to your very first question. Drum roll. You got to love it. Because you asked the question, what have I found is most important in business? And I'm going to go with five, but you can't have five with the first four. Five is accountability. And that's what everyone in the world today dislikes. Whether it's peer accountability, you and I holding each other accountable peer, whether it's personal accountability, whether it's organizational accountability, whether it's 360 accountability systems, whether it's customer-driven accountability to us, we don't have accountability systems. So Delta Airlines, I fly a lot. I do over 100 flights every year because my office is typically wherever you are. So whether I like flying or not, I'm going to be on a plane. Now, I like Delta. So no negative to this story. I love Delta. But the problem when businesses become so big that they own a huge market share is that they forget these five and they actually start to create their own demise over time. So you could be Delta Airlines. You could have all the J.D. Powers awards for being great. And a lot of that data is very misleading. It's an accountability award. See, if I get a survey as a, as a diamond flyer, the highest level that Delta has, and I get an e-survey after every single flight that I'm on, then that's an accountability mechanism. But that's not what happens. I almost always get a survey after a flight when it, their analytics end. They know that flight was probably pretty good. The flight left on time, arrived on time. I get a pop-up survey. So now they're getting skewed data, accountability data, as to how good they are. They then give to a third party like J.D. Powers that says, oh, you're the best in the industry. Versus if I have a crappy flight, do they send me a survey to find out what my views were on that crappy flight so they can see specifically where the problem was so they can see if they could fix it or not? See, again, that's accountability. And I never get those. I never get you never get those. Never. I just came, at the time I'm recording this, I just came back off of, in the last 48 hours, I was on four Delta Airlines. And on those four flights, two were great, two sucked. Interesting. I had a survey on, I got back last night at 10 o'clock. This morning I turned my computer on at 4.30. I had surveys on the flight last night. I have yet to get the survey on the flight that I had 48 hours ago. So again, accountability. So it doesn't do you any good as a nonprofit leader if all you're looking are for smiley faces. It's misleading. I mean, I used to get surveys from, you know, I'd walk out and talk to an audience, 100, 1,000, 10,000, doesn't matter. Let's use 100 as an easy number. And I could have 99 surveys back with smiley faces, great program, etc. And one that said, you know, you weren't that good. And that one would get me distracted. But it took me a long time to realize, wait a second, I don't even want 100 of those surveys because the people in my audience are not my customer. They're my indirect customer. Strategically, ah, a business owner brings me in for a reason. So he or she is my customer. I want to survey them on the front side. 
outside. What do you want me to accomplish? While I'm there, if I can check in, am I on track? And when I leave, did I accomplish it? Because if they love me, it doesn't matter what someone in the audience says. Because I learned a long time ago, just as you've experienced this webinar, I'm being brought in to say and do things with the audience that's politically incorrect for the boss to be able to do. Because a lot of times bosses have some great members in their organizations, whether it's a nonprofit or profit, and they have a large percentage of mediocre people, but they also have a percentage of nightmares. Keep in mind, J.D. Powers does research and so does, in essence, Gallup organization. Gallup has a phenomenal survey that impacts your organization and you'll see about how it impacts your strategy, your operational systems, your tactical behaviors, your discipline, and your accountability mechanisms. What they say when you look at any organization, roughly 56% of any organization are disengaged today. They're complacent. They're followers. We've got to find ways to engage them and that's what leadership's all about. And also, once you understand why someone's disengaged through exit interviews or just trying to engage them on a job, you'll You'll see how to do a better job at promoting and trying to hire and promote to advertise to get new people to come to your organization. So 56% are disengaged or complacent. 15% are actively disengaged. That's what's stunning. Today on payroll and organizations and in nonprofits, 15% of your people could be actively there every day trying to find a way to sabotage your business. Only 29%, so if you take 100% of the employees, 56% are there, disengaged, complacent. 15 actively disengaged. They bitch for a living. 29% are engaged. <laughs> So yesterday, I'm in the Houston airport, use an example, and I'm in the food court, and I'm looking to get something to eat. One restaurant has five employees standing there, and of the five, only one was truly working. The other four were moping along at such a pathetic pace. They're pathetic because, let me go back to one, is the strategy of the leadership team at that restaurant, they're of corporate, to engage people, give them a way to make money, have a better way of life, make it fun and engaging to do the job. Absolutely not, because those people were already dead. They were, they were dead people walking. Operationally, they have a way to hold people accountable. Hey, we got to get it going. No, dead people walking. Behaviorally, were they doing things to impress me? No, it's dead people standing. I mean, you're making a hamburger, folks. This is not hard work. Shouldn't take you 10 minutes to make one burger with five people back there. I look at the next restaurant. It had nine people working there. So the first thought is, wow, they have too much staff. But wait a minute. They had a line. The line was moving fast. Everyone was going there. And it was not a Chipotle, but it was a Chipotle-style restaurant where you added up each ingredient you wanted. They were making tons of money because all nine of them were having fun. They were dressed in their uniforms. They were making that because everything was in play. There's the bottom line. The bottom there it is. line. Bottom yeah, line. So function leads to profit. So these are all key leadership decisions. And you know my experience of 40 years as a musical conductor. And every one of these is a strong leadership principle. It's a, it's a functional part of our system. Absolutely. And, and we can reframe all of these things from music into nonprofit or the corporate workspace. And without the discipline piece is huge. Without discipline and commitment in music, you can't be excellent. That's it. So the examples I've used here today, folks, as I recap, were not any one example to pick on someone and throw them under the bus. They were first-person experiences. The NEA is an organization that roughly 56% of the members, teachers, educators, administrators of the National Education Association, so think about Gallup's organization, 56% of those members are mediocre. 15% are worthless, pathetic, and only 29% are doing their job. Apply that to your local school, school district. I've worked with superintendents of major school districts in America that when they came in, it was the nightmare I just explained, and we created an environment using the five steps I just gave you to take their school districts to be number one in their state and in the top 10 in the nation before those superintendents retired. They got it. 
politics we've talked about today. I've worked with governors and senators and federal political leaders at state level, and every one of the ones I've worked with that are successful get everything I've just said. And the ones that truly, if you look at their resume and legacy, they are damaging their constituents. But because they look pretty or they play the diversity card, no one holds them accountable. And you can't do that. I have minority politicians that are incredibly successful because they don't hide behind the diversity card. They just recognize, you know what? I didn't choose this body. God put me in the body we have. What counts is what you do with that body and what's the DNA you have inside you. Keep in mind Benjamin Franklin's classic statement. You cannot, in essence, ever lose if you think about his, his, his philosophy and this advice. The person who empties their purse into their head will never be bankrupt. So I want to judge you not by what's on the outside vessel, but what's on the inside. So we talked about education, we've talked about politics, and we've talked about your own business. So you can use those big examples on the nightly news to see how these things work, or you can go stand in front of the mirror and see how you advocate for them on a daily basis. And if you're in a nonprofit world or profit world, it comes down to the same thing. At the end of the day, you will thrive, and therefore you will survive if you do these five. You will not thrive, you'll barely survive if you're not doing these five. And that's what leadership comes down to. Think about it. Anyone can be a manager. Management, manager, is simply about the function of HOW, how to do things. Insights, labs, teach monkeys HOW, how to functionality do things. Anyone can be a manager. Leadership is a different element. Leadership is the art and science, art and science of understanding the five things we just gave you and the myriad of subpoints to the five things we just gave you. Leaders can write the resumes of their key constituents. Leaders can write the resume of their key employees or nonprofit members or volunteers. Leaders can write the resume of their, in essence, first line of executives, that first bench beyond you going down to the second and third bench. Leaders can write resumes. Managers cannot. And I have never been proven wrong in 30 years. Bingo. Jeff McGee, great wisdom. Uh, Thank you. You've learned it in school. You've learned it from the marketplace, and you've taught yourself to grow past the systems. It's it's key, that Gallup poll that you were referring to about disengagement and, and active disengagement, is, that's in corporate America. It is. In, in, in our charity world, it's probably more like 90%. And I've been on nonprofit boards, and I have been a member of not-for-profits, <clears throat> and you're exactly right. If I come in as just a member, and I'm first onboarded and engaged, mentored, sponsored, advocated for, whatever word your organization uses, if, if my first connectivity is with that 29% that are engaged, then you're bringing me in and I'm more likely to become engaged and want to come back to the next meetings. If my first experience is with the 56% that are just kind of sitting there um, in, in the first people that engage if 56% are positive, then you can have that as all positive energy. If the first people that engage 56% or other 56% nothing's happening. If the first people that engage 56% are that negative 15%, then now you've got a lot of people bitching in the background. So if I come into your nonprofit and I sit there for the first meeting and my strategy aligns with your strategy, that's why I showed up. But the first things I see are not going toward your strategy. That's why sometimes it's hard to get us to come back to your second and third meetings. I mean, as a professional, you know, I'm a member of a lot of trade associations to keep my own certifications. And within those, I'll go to a chapter meeting. And if that meeting is not pushing me and growing me and developing me, then the leadership typically are 56 percenters. It's attracting 56 percenters. I don't go back and yet they're going, why are we not getting the great people in our community to join organization? There's your clue. Don't create an organization 
designed to only benefit the 56 percenters unless that's who you are. In, in some organizations, that's what you're about. You're about how do I help mediocre people to stay mediocre? And if that's what you're about, then now you've, I've given you huge clues. Fortunately, we have we have a passion in, in the proper we, we lack these five principles. And you want to get to the magazine, nonprofitperformance.org. Uh, Jeffrey McGee International. There's, there, uh, so on this page, if you're looking at the video, there's links to the Professional Performance 360 magazine. Um, but thank you for today. Absolutely. Um, we, want to, we want to engage you in the community in conversation. And thank you for being here today. As we're departing, you've done a masterful summary and a masterful pres- presentation. What's one tip you want to leave leaders one tip that they can start right now in making a difference. Great question. Again, this is philosophical. This is religious. This is just good DNA. This is what you're taught in Sunday school. This is what you're taught as a Boy Scout or Girl Scout. You know, I would answer that with, with one of the comments I sometimes use when I'm in front of a group, and that is, you know, what drives you, your philosophy, your view, your religion. So one of my religious threads, the religion according to Jeff, we would call it, <laughs> is that we were not put on this planet to be takers. We were put on this planet to be contributors. And every day, you and I and Hugh and everyone else should contribute something meaningful to the planet. And if you cannot contribute something meaningful to the planet, you should be asked to step off the planet. <laughs> That's how I challenge you. What can you do that's meaningful, whether it's starting something, helping something, going out of your way to reach someone, you know, redoing something? I mean, what is it you do that's meaningful? So if I was now answering it more specifically as a leader, I have lots of finite answers. Again, JeffreyMcGee.com. You can check me out. You can check you out. Our magazines are parallel. So there's lots of specifics, but I would just leave you with that macro. What did you do? When you go to bed tonight, is there anything meaningful you did to help another person, to help another cause? If you're a leadership position in a company, to make your nonprofit or profit-based business stronger tomorrow than it was today so that the people that are showing up tomorrow will have the ability to do something meaningful themselves and receive the paychecks that they're working for. Meaningful. Quit talking about low-level rhetoric. No longer allow the politicians in your neighborhood or in your head to engage you on low-level crap. Your business should not be engaged in low-level crap. What's the big stuff? Make a difference starting now, no matter where you are in any organization, you influence people all around you. Absolutely. Jeff McGee, you're brilliant. Thank, Thank you for you. being here. Thank you for what you do out there as well. Make it meaningful. Make it another great day. Today's podcast is sponsored by our friends at WordSprint. Go to wordsprint.com and get a free consultation about how WordSprint can deliver your message, the right message to the right person in the right rhythm to maintain your client engagement, to maintain your donor base, It's important to build and maintain relationships with your tribe. Wordsprint.com. Go look at their site, log on, and request a free consultation and tell them you heard that on this podcast. This is Hugh Ballou recommending Wordsprint. Thanks for listening today to the Orchestrating Success Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to stay focused on ways to redefine leadership and increase your profit. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.